We are back today to talk about the impact of, I said that like a robot. We're back today to talk about the impact of Golden Girls. TV has been my significant other for most of my life, I guess I would say. And I mean, just think through your thought catalog, listeners, like how many shows other than Grace and Frankie can you think of that are about older people? And also... Whether you want to recognize it or not, the gays have always been the arbiters of cultural relevance. Like... Well, hi there. Hello, that was almost ASMR. Oh, was it? We are going to do a podcast now. It's going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) I don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever seen the YouTube videos of, like, ASMR boyfriends? Um, I don't think so. Well, okay, so there's this whole, like, sub-sect... Is that the word? Yeah, sure. Okay. There's this whole subsect of ASMR where it's like these boys and they'll be like, I know you're not feeling very well today. Would you like me to get you some water? Oh, yeah. Just lay down in bed. Like, And it's like just all about like just taking care of you. But it's really creepy. They're all just like probably 16 to 19 year old boys being mm. your little like ASMR boyfriend. Oh, I don't know about the legal implications of yeah, you listening to a 16 year old boy telling you, oh, just lay down. Let me take care of you. <laughs> you're so beautiful. <laughs> it's so weird. Also, sorry, really quick side note, but you remember that show, A Teacher? Yes, I do. I did <laughs> I, not watch it. I didn't either. I think we mentioned it in our House of Cards episode because Kate Mara mm-hmm. is in it. But yeah. my friend and I were talking the other night and somehow it came up that she had watched all of A Teacher. Oh, <laughs> And I was like, is it exactly what I expected that it was? And she was like, yes. And I felt like I shouldn't have been watching it. Oh, no. (laughs) I I won't name her name because... You don't want to embarrass her or implicate her. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, anyway... (laughs) Welcome back to Golden Girls Part 2. Yeah, we are... Oh, sorry. Were you going to say something else? I was just going to joke that you should try to sing the theme song just but really fast. Oh, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to sing the transition music that plays after the theme song ends but before the first scene begins. Oh, that's a great song. Ready? wonderful. Oh, thank you. We are back today to talk about the impact of... I said that like a robot. We're back today to talk about the impact of Golden Girls. We sure are. We hope you caught our part one, where we talked about some individual touchstone episodes, I guess, throughout the show's run. And one thing that I sort of wanted to mention, with that episode, we talked a lot about the individual more serious topics episodes, but like, 
there are just so many episodes that are just really funny and that, you know, <laughs> did not maybe have the cultural impact, but for cementing the show's legacy, a lot of those other episodes are very important as well. So we didn't yes. want to gloss over those episodes by only talking about the things that really had more cultural implications, I guess. But if you're ever doing a binge of the show, definitely watch the entire thing, because even those episodes that are not as important from a societal standpoint are absolutely worth watching and will probably crack you up. I, I was just going to say, the show really does make me laugh out loud, which is mm -hmm. not true for very many shows. Mm -hmm. There are certain lines throughout the show that I remember that I can just, like, if I'm having a bad day and need to cheer myself up, I can think of like the time where Blanche is kind of like perched in the doorway and talking about how she's going to take a bath in just enough water to barely cover her perky bosoms while she's trying to seduce someone and Sophia says you're only gonna sit in an inch of water <laughs> and I just crack up every single time I think about that like there are multiple instances of lines like that throughout the show that make me laugh non-stop all the time Sophia had one today that made me laugh so hard I know we're trying to talk about the impact but she like says she's talking to Dorothy about something and she's like oh pussycat this is the proudest I've ever been of you and then she like pauses like Dorothy's oh thank you and she's like no really imagine it this is the proudest I've ever been of you <laughs> just like I love Sophia so much I think she's my favorite yeah me too well I don't know if Sophia's my favorite actually Maybe we should talk about who's our favorite. <laughs> uh, I love all of them so much. I do it's too. like the opposite of Sex in the City for me. It's like, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can pick just one favorite because I love like just how brazen Blanche is. And like, she's mm -hmm. just so confident and, you know, has some great double entendres and stuff. <laughs> I love Rose's innocence and sweetness, but like she's not stupid necessarily. Like a lot of people think Rose is the stupid one. She's not. She can be no. very intuitive and insightful. And like I, I just treasure some of her remarks of, you know, defending herself or making fun of one of the other ladies or something. And I think in some ways Dorothy is my spirit animal because <laughs> of all of her retorts and her mm -hmm. quick wit. And I think she's misunderstood as a crabby queen, maybe, but I don't think she's crabby as much as she is just she has high expectations for yeah. herself and for the people around her and she will let you know if you do not live up to them and then you have Sophia who is just you know very wise but just so funny and so like just doesn't care what people think about mm -hmm. her but you know she has such a good heart too I, I think like as far as one-liners go like as far as the zingers go Sophia's probably got the best but all of them have good ones while I don't think that my zingers are nearly up to Sophia's level she definitely is the character I relate to the most mm. I think that it is clear to me that I am Sophia I don't know if you disagree with that but if we were to <laughs> assign roles I think I would be her she has the same kind of just misguided morality that I think I have and <laughs> she's so silly too and she also has like this I feel like hidden life I don't know if we talked about it in the episodes section but like I feel like Sophia just has this whole life happening outside of what other people know which is probably how everybody feels about themselves but I feel mm -hmm. like that a lot of the time and then people are surprised to find out like what I actually do so I don't know I'm Sophia. I would agree with that. I would love to say that I'm Dorothy, but I'm just not that funny. I mean, I am. <laughs> so, no, I, 
I feel like just my deadpan, mm-hmm. sarcastic sense of humor lines up most neatly with Dorothy. So I yeah. feel like that's the best fit for me. And this means that I am your mother. It, it sure does. <laughs> you did a great job raising me. Well, would you like to get into the impact stuff? Let's please do. Excellent. So Golden Girls really was the first show of its kind that focused more or less exclusively on female friendship. Before Golden Girls, you had Lucy and Ethel, you had Mary and Rhoda, you even had Kate and Allie. That's a show that premiered two years before that of two women living together and raising their families after their divorces. But like, it's not a show that really got as much credit maybe as it (laughs) deserves. But none of those shows were just four women sitting around a kitchen table in every episode, eating cheesecake and leaning on each other to resolve their problems and navigate a changing world and just get through life. Like, no other TV show had focused so exclusively on this demographic of older women who had lived full, rich lives and aren't done living yet. And there are so many audience members who can relate to that. And even if you aren't a woman of a certain age, you can just relate to the people. These weren't Mm -hmm. caricatures. These were real people with real problems living in a real world. And the show just was not afraid to go to places that other shows would not or could not. And the fact that you have these very real feeling characters placed in these situations that are very familiar to you just makes it so identifiable and so, uh, I don't know, it just has so much resonance for people because they see themselves in whatever way within these characters and within the things that happen in their world. As you were talking, just kind of curious about the writing staff of the show, because we talk so much on the show about Mm. male versus female writers. And so I wanted to look it up. And while it does appear to be more men than women, there actually were like a fair number of women who worked on the show. Susan Harris. She was the creator. Mm -hmm. She's credited on all episodes as a writer and creator. Winifred. That sounds like a woman to me. Kathy Spear wrote on 22 episodes. So I think that it's obvious that that had an impact on the show, the Mm -hmm. creation of the show. But one thing that I did think about when I was thinking about this element of the show, the female friendship element of the show, is that in a similar way to Sex in the City, this show also had a cast rivalry. Oh, yes. And... It's kind of a shame to me that when you read about the show, that's something that you have to read about. But it, it did exist. Basically, B. Arthur really did not like Betty White. And I read a, an interesting article with her son talking about it. And basically, it kind of reminded me of myself <laughs> in reading it because B. Arthur just really despised Betty White's upbeat personality <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that she would talk to fans while they were doing scene changes and stuff. B. Arthur came from like a very strict stage background and stayed in character and like didn't believe in doing that. And so uh, I don't know. It just makes me upset that this had to be a rivalry behind the scenes because it reminds me of Lucy and Ethel, the actresses that played mm. them uh, had an issue. Kim Cattrall and Sarah Jessica Parker. Like, it it sucks that these female friendship shows didn't 
always have that behind the scenes. And I know that that's true to real life, but I just feel like in Hollywood, there's such a perpetuated stereotype that women are going to be rivals and women aren't going to be able to work together like divas, you know? So it sucks that that has to be like an outside of the show element. And, you know, I guess maybe I didn't have to talk about it and perpetuate it even further, but it <laughs> I think it is worth noting. I think so too. And like, it just kind of puts this unfortunate damper on a show whenever you find out that the magic that you see on screen maybe wasn't necessarily happening behind the scenes. And especially with a show like this, that is such a strong statement for the power of women and especially yeah. the power of older women. The fact that they, you know, maybe weren't able to resolve their differences in real life or, you know, it doesn't sound like they had difficulty working together. It's It just kind of makes you sad that like, yeah, it's a show about female friendship and then they weren't actually friends, you know? But I think they all still attested that they held a, you know, special place in each other's hearts. I think so. It, they just weren't, you know, actually anything like Dorothy and Rose and Blanche and Sophia would have been on screen. It's also just nice to see adult friendships. Like, these mm -hmm. women are all people who met much later in life. And I know that as I get older, I feel as though it's sometimes very hard to make those super close friendships with people. It just isn't the same as, as when you're growing up and it's also easy for you because your scope of meeting people is defined to, you know, going to school every day and being with the same people over and over. Like, mm -hmm. you have to work a little harder in real life. So it's nice to see that aspect of it depicted as well. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that I thought was worth mentioning, Golden Girls, like Mary Tyler Moore, another show that we have covered here, is an unabashedly feminist show without usually having its characters taking overtly political actions. You know, the show mm -hmm. is making these statements and you know, they're strong, potent statements that very few, if any other pieces of media were making at the time, but it's not like all the characters are out there protesting or doing any kind of activism work. Mm -hmm. Like, there's occasionally something, like they're trying to save a tree or <laughs> something like that. With Mary Tyler Moore, it was a little more understated, where it was reflecting these real-life issues, but it lets you know which side of the issue it was on without, like, coming right out and being bold about it. And Golden yeah. Girls was bold. You know, it took these big stances <laughs> on things that are so amazing, looking back on them now, for the show to have been allowed to, to say some of the things that they were allowed to say, quite honestly. And I think it kind of pushed TV in a little bit of a different direction. There were other shows that, you know, had done the whole, you know, very political issue of the week kind of episodes for a lot of their runs, thinking of shows like All in the Family and Good Times, even Cosby Show, which was around the same time as Golden Girls and maybe didn't get as much into that kind of stuff, but still touched on a lot of things. And, you know, Golden Girls in some ways felt like a rejuvenation of some of those shows of the 70s that had been so unafraid to take on those issues. But at the same time, it seems like a lot of shows kind of petered out with that kind of content after Golden Girls went off the air. You had shows like Seinfeld and Home Improvement and Friends that came along in the 90s right after Golden Girls finished that were not saying anything substantive or, like, really contributing in any way to societal conversations. And I just wonder, like, do you have any ideas about why that shift happened? I don't know. I thought a lot about this because it 
definitely is just not even really, I would say, not even really a part of TV today to do this kind of issue of the week thing, at least not at all in the same way as Golden Girls. It's a really hard thing to do well, and like Golden Girls strikes a very good balance of talking about issues, but still to me, not feeling like it's shoving them down your throat. Like with Mary Tyler mm -hmm. Moore, we talked a lot about how it wasn't trying to be an issue show. And while Golden Girls definitely tried to tackle more issues than Mary Tyler Moore, I still don't think it feels like an issue show. It just feels funny and like a comedy to me and like if you listen to us talk about the episodes of the show, those are just a small sampling of episodes that really hit on hard topics the there's so much of the show where the things that they're that are happening the events that are happening in each episode are just like smaller stories that aren't about these overarching like issues so i think one it's just a hard thing to do well but you know maybe oh, i'm talking my way through it now maybe it has something to do even with like the news cycle changing in the 90s mm -hmm. and into the 2000s like just actual news becoming full networks dedicated to news 24 7 like maybe there just was less of a need or want for like a tv show to really talk about these issues i read something you wrote about the show how it felt like a response to the very conservative political landscape of the time and you know that landscape changed you know bill clinton became president and then like things 9-11 happened and like Obama became president and like <laughs> things just are the political landscape is just really different so maybe there is just there just was less of a need I, what are your thoughts do you have a more clear answer than that five minutes of rambling <laughs> no um like actually the last thing you said about the political shift was really the best answer that I could come up with it seems like looking at the history of television you kind of have more tv shows getting into more of the issue-based side of things, when there is more opposition from the government to those things. Whenever the government is trying to suppress or, or ignore, I guess, these major issues that aren't getting highlighted in other areas throughout culture, television has typically kind of risen up to highlight those things. You know, in the 70s, you had All in the Family and Mary Tyler Moore during the Nixon administration. You know, you had in the Reagan administration, Golden Girls and Cosby Show. And, you know, by the time you got to the Clinton administration, where there is starting to be some social progress on a lot of these issues that, you know, Golden Girls and other shows had talked about, it, there wasn't as much of a need to highlight those things because it was seen elsewhere throughout the culture and it was being promoted in other ways. And that doesn't mean that there wasn't, there wouldn't have been value in talking about it, but I think there were fewer shows that felt the need to get into those places and they could just be kind of a reprieve maybe from the, like you said, the now. 24-hour news cycle that has developed. They could be a distraction as opposed to starting that conversation themselves. What do you think that means for content today, I guess? I feel like so much has happened within recent years. The Trump administration made a lot of people very angry. There's also just like his supporters and people who are very conservative who also feel like they're not having their voices heard. And then coronavirus. And now with everything being on such a delay, like productions just now kind of getting back into the full swing of things, do you think that there could be a place now for more issue-based shows? And what would that even look like in today's like media landscape? I think there 
there could be a place for shows that deal with a lot of issues like that. And there are some shows that do. I think of like Blackish is one example, but I don't think that, like, I can't envision a world where there will be a show that does that issue of the week kind of thing. And part of that is, I think, kind of, as I said, because we are exposed to so many other places throughout the culture where these issues are being highlighted. You have the cable channels that, you know, can each tell us what we want to hear about different issues. You have social media where people are constantly sharing. We are being bombarded with things that we should and maybe don't care about. And, <laughs> you know, if if there is an issue to be addressed, you can find plenty yeah. of people talking about it wherever you want to find them or you can ignore those people if you want to ignore them so like in another reason i think is that television is not the unifier that it once was if that makes sense mm -hmm. because there is such a splintered landscape of the ways that people consume television and there's so many different options of things to watch it's not as potent maybe of a medium that's a good point or to be bringing those those issues to light so like i said that's not to say that there wouldn't be value in shows doing it today and there are shows that do try to address those real issues in a meaningful way like i just don't ever see us getting back to a world where a show like golden girls would have the same approach to its content if it were made today yeah that makes sense to me that's a good answer well thanks so another thing that Golden Girls did that it had a fairly widespread impact on its audience is redefining the idea of family. So even though it might not seem like it on the surface, it is a family sitcom. It's just a chosen family. These four women who had been lonely found each other and they created a family. It's inspiring and it is kind of unsurprising that the show resonates so much with the queer community. In a way, this departure from the standard idea that a sitcom should center around a blood family paved the way for shows that we already mentioned, Seinfeld, Friends, Sex and the City, that center on groups of people just hanging out and making their way through life. Yeah, I like as I was thinking about Golden Girls, it occurred to me that there just were not a lot of shows before this that were not centered on a workplace or not centered on a you know family at home around the dinner table, things like that. You know, it's just a show about friends, but those friends constitute a family, and that I think is so weirdly revolutionary. It seems strange that we wouldn't have seen more shows like that before, but anything like any show that did present a family to us was always the super traditional mom and dad and a couple of kids or a dad and a daughter and two black boys like different strokes or you know some <laughs> yeah. combination of that and like you have shows that you could make an argument about a chosen family maybe like i don't know facts of life or something but that's uh i feel like that's a gilligan's stretch. island gilligan's <laughs> island sure but you know golden girls really was just the first show I can think of that just had adults choosing to be together. Any of the ladies could have gone off and like had a, a sitcom just about Rose's work at the psychiatry clinic or Dorothy's job as a substitute teacher or, you know, whatever it might be. But like those jobs, those other aspects of their lives were not the things that defined who they were. And the fact that the thing that we care about them for is their relationships with one another, I think is so significant. Yeah, I think two thoughts here. One, I think it's very clear that 
this show set in motion a trend for more content like that about found families. It's definitely something that is so prevalent on TV today. Like there are just so many shows where Mm -hmm. it, it is essentially a family unit with just people who met one another and is also just a really popular topic in literature as well. I think especially Mm. right now, I follow a bunch of people online, like booktubers, who (laughs) like all of them are obsessed with found family stories. So I think it's something, especially as our world becomes more splintered, like so many less people are living where they were born uh, and the world is just so much more diverse and spread out and big. I think Mm -hmm. a found family story is just going to keep being so relevant to people and increasing in its relevance for people and the fact that they are all older and just how important like finding those ties are for people who have lost a spouse like that's something that you know we don't always think about especially like I guess the ladies did have children but they were all living elsewhere so Mm -hmm. to really think about them finding each other and helping each other through this stage in life where otherwise they would just be alone and they were lonely and alone before they met each other which is so sweet i love the episode where you get an insight into how all of them became roommates Mm -hmm. it's just so nice (laughs) it is yes and like you had said about the connection that the queer community has to this i think that's one of the reasons that the show continues to have the impact that it does because there have always been those people that had the chosen family that was more meaningful to them than their real family and you know as people discover this show they realize oh that those people are me and my friends (laughs) even if they are for straight older white ladies you still identify with that feeling that they have for the the gratitude that they have for these relationships that they have formed that are so important to them and so necessary for them honestly to be able to keep living the way that they do yeah you know would they have the same kinds of dating relationships if they didn't have that core family at home supporting them would they have the kind of professional experiences that they have without that support at home i don't think so but it's inspiring yeah, to people not. who yeah to people who don't have that in their real lives this show sort of gives them hope in that way that okay i can find my tribe i can find that thing that anchors me and that's so important for people to have at all stages of life even if that tribe changes even if it yep. was the your biological family at one point and you know transitions later to these people that you find along the way it's so vital for people to feel seen and loved and accepted and you know to just be able to share their life with other people who understand and who get them i think that's one of the things i love the most about tv is you know even in moments in my own life where i felt so alone and you know i mean i'm lucky i've always had a few friends but there are times where even the fact that I had friends, like, it didn't mean that I felt understood all of the time. And mm. TV is so amazing because <laughs> maybe this is dark, but to me, it's a positive. Like, TV can be a family. Like, these people can be your family. Mm-hmm. And I think more people than maybe would admit it have had moments in their life where, like, a TV show is 
actually what's getting them through. Yeah. And I always say to my boyfriend, you know, like, I don't really want to have kids. I'll have Buffy with me on my deathbed. And (laughs) that could be dark and some people might not relate to it. But for me, that's true. I love TV, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Yes. TV has been my significant other for most of my life, I guess I would say. (laughs) Certainly the thing I've spent the most time with. (laughs) (laughs) Same. All right. So the show Golden Girls has demonstrated, I think better than probably any other show, that there's no such thing as being past your prime or, Mm -hmm. you know, however you want to say that. Like these ladies may not be what Hollywood considers to be desirable or valuable or worthwhile, but the Golden Girls proved there is a huge audience for a smart and hilarious and insightful show about people that the average person on the street doesn't just think is hot, right? Like, there is an audience for people that want some substance there Mm -hmm. and that enjoy seeing real depictions of different people's lives on screen. And a lot of the Golden Girls' contemporary shows like Family Ties or Growing Pains or Full House or Silver Spoons, they relied so heavily on this younger audience that they could pull in just because their exceptionally attractive leads were, you know, hot enough to justify tuning in every week. You just wanted to look at them for a half hour you you didn't actually care about the show you just thought that michael j fox was cute so you were watching family ties like no one was watching golden girls because they thought b arthur was cute (laughs) and that's not to say that the ladies are not attractive because they certainly were and sexy and glamorous to boot Mm -hmm. but like teeny boppers weren't watching golden girls for the same reasons that they were watching Growing Pains. Right. But teeny boppers were still watching Golden Girls because it was funny, (laughs) you know? And I feel like that's just so, that speaks to the quality of the show, that in this time where there were so many other shows doing something completely different, that this show worked. This, just for me, is, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but isn't this even more of a reason that we should cast more shows and create more shows about people that are more than just attractive or people Mm -hmm. who are unconventionally attractive because it both forces and also allows the writing staff to actually write something good. Yes. Like, and this show was able to cover so many more meaningful topics that a show about just hot young people, like, wouldn't... uh, A hot young person in a storyline about Alzheimer's is just not going to be as impactful, you know? (laughs) Uh So it... To me, this is just even more proof that there... Not only is there an audience out there for content about people that are different from the norm that we would see on TV, but it's also, like, there should be and it would be better for the quality of content. Absolutely. I looked up a statistic and, you know, it's hard to find anything totally specific, but one study I I saw found that less than 10% of all speaking characters on TV shows are elderly. Hmm. And they analyzed 72 shows in the study and only three of the 72 shows had seniors in lead roles. Wow. So... This was relatively recent. I'm thinking, I feel like it was like 2016, 2017. So that's pretty recent. And I mean, just think through your 
thought catalog listeners, like how many shows other than Grace and Frankie can you think of that are about older people? And also, there are countless articles online that you can look up and read about how the way most seniors are, which also these women were supposed to be 56 in the first season. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. they're not even that old, but you know, how seniors are portrayed on TV is hugely problematic. They are stereotyped as much or more than almost any other group out there. And it is like significantly impacting the way seniors are treated in the Mm. real world Mm -hmm. by their families, by healthcare providers. (laughs) Like maybe it seems less important than racial issues or LGBTQ plus issues, but like ageism and the portrayal of old people is just as important, I would Mm -hmm. say. Absolutely. And you know what? I'm just thinking about this now. It is so surprising to me that there is not more content being made for an older audience. And what I mean by that is, like, historically, you had the shows on primetime network television being created exclusively for the 18 to 49 year old demographic because that's what advertisers valued the most. Those were the people Mm -hmm. that were seen as having the most viability for spending their money on your product. You know, that was always the target. And as we've seen this advent of streaming services, especially, but also all of the networks now shifting to a less rigid model as far as wanting the 18 to 49 demographic it totally makes sense that you need to make content that appeals to all demographics not just the 18 to 49 because a 70 year old can buy netflix and pay the same amount for it as a 25 year old so if the 70 year old buys a netflix subscription and doesn't see any content that they're interested in they're not going to keep paying for it Right. And honestly, I can't think of too many shows on Netflix that a 70-year-old is going to be that interested in. So what about Squid Game? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there probably is a 70-year-old out there who has watched Squid Game, yes. But I want to find that person and interview them on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you do, we will definitely do an episode about that. But, like, I just... It, It does surprise me that there is not more of a push from these streaming services that are throwing so much money at so many different projects right now to actually create shows that, one, feature talent that those older generations recognize (laughs) and care about, but two, that they will appreciate and identify with and want to watch more of. This has literally never occurred to me until just now, (laughs) but I think it makes so much sense. It does. And then I had two other thoughts while you were talking, which is one, that... Why aren't cable and, like, network TV stations making more content for old people? Because, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, while CBS is probably mostly old people watching it, I don't know that Big Bang Theory is, like, young Sheldon is exactly in the wheelhouse of what an old person would want to watch. (laughs) I could be wrong. But also, going back to the advertising thing, I'm pretty sure that millennials and Gen Z don't have as much money to spend as... (sighs) people who are 55 and over. So true. And so maybe there is an advertising spin on this as well. I don't, I don't know. Just spitballing. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, that's a very good point too. Like the the traditional TV model of that 18 to 49 demographic, I think has shifted where you can't just 
rely on the fact that that is the demographic with the most disposable income. It's not true anymore. It's not true anymore. (laughs) No. So you have to play into the hand of the people that have that money. And right now, those people that have accumulated the wealth are the ones that are older. Mm -hmm. Maybe they are more set in their ways. I don't don't like to use that term, but maybe they have less likelihood of buying your product if you're like looking at it from an advertising perspective because they already have their own preferences. They already know what they like and don't like and are a little less willing to try new things. And that's a very general statement. But just from the standpoint of if I am trying to advertise my product, then I want to get it in front of the people who have the most capability of buying it. And that's not someone who is 20 years old and working for minimum wage at Claire's. (laughs) It's someone who is, you know, who is 65 years old and is ready to retire now on the money that they made as a baby boomer whenever things were hot in the 80s and you could walk out in the street and get a job offer for a one-year salary that would buy you a whole house. Things are just so different now and the television industry has changed so much. The type of content that is being produced has not changed enough to reflect the changes in society. I agree. This is great. This is great. I I didn't expect us to go to this place, but I'm so glad we did. Uh, Me too. Where else are we going? Well, let's see here. So, as we've already said, the Golden Girls inspired countless other TV shows in the years to come. There's no doubt about the fact that there are a lot of shows that followed in its footsteps, particularly from the strong female friendship angle. You had Designing Women that was really created as a direct competitor. Not exactly a ripoff, but following largely the same premise. Have you ever watched Designing Women? I have not, but I think I would like it. From what I know of it, I yeah. feel like it would be worth my watching. But have you? No, I haven't seen it either. Gene Smart is in it, so you know it has to be oh, good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We love Gene Smart. We do. That's why it was on my mind recently, actually. Mm. But yeah, aside from designing women, there would be no sex in the city without Golden Girls. There would be no Desperate Housewives without Golden Girls. Mostly because Desperate Housewives was created by Mark Cherry, who was a writer on Golden Girls and kind of proved himself in being able to write middle-aged, not even that the Desperate Housewives were all middle-aged women, but women that were not young and frivolous, I guess. (laughs) I mean, they were kind of frivolous, but still. Obviously, Hot in Cleveland was... A complete ripoff, basically, of Golden Girls to the fact that it even featured Betty White. And that's not a a read of Hot in Cleveland because I liked that show. But like even more recent shows like Broad City and Girls and Insecure and Younger, like all of them feature much younger casts and different styles of humor. But who's to say whether we would have shows like that without the template of the Golden Girls? We wouldn't. We wouldn't. No. (laughs) So obviously, like Golden Girls carries so much cultural weight still today. And basically, if you're trying to create a TV show that people will love and revere until the end of time, this is it. Like, this is how (laughs) you do it. But uh, as I thought about this, I wondered why that is. Like, what did Golden Girls do that other shows have failed to replicate? Is there some sort of like magic formula that Golden Girls cracked that other shows hadn't found before and very few shows have since? Or like did it just strike enough of the right chords with enough of the right people to establish its cultural permanence? 
It's sort of interesting because we've like danced around this basically the entire episode of like kind of comparing it to Mary Tyler Moore. And I'm just thinking about how Mary Tyler Moore so clearly redefined the sitcom format. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that format that Mary Tyler Moore created is pretty much give or take the same format that is still used today to write most sitcoms. And I think that that's mm-hmm. shifted a little, but like not enough for me to not say that. And I think that Golden Girls, as we mentioned kind of earlier, changed maybe the family element of sitcom, the workplace element. Like this is just about friends. And I think we've, again, seen that trend sort of continue. But ultimately, I just think Golden Girls was lightning in a bottle. <laughs> like it just worked. You can replicate the style of humor or the way that they set up jokes or the family aspect of it. And I don't think it changed necessarily like the sitcom format all that much in like terms of structure, but it just everything about it was working. The humor worked. The way that it tackled issues and tugged at your heartstrings, that worked. The chemistry of the cast is unbelievable. And that's something that, I mean, you can have people do reads with each other before you cast them. And I still just doubt that you can really predict how four main characters are going to play off of each other and how that's going to translate through the lens of the camera onto people's television sets at home. It's just like such a an unpredictable thing and in a very similar way to Mary Tyler Moore like they had a very similar thing with chemistry as well and you know love it or hate it friends obviously did as well. So other shows failed because they just weren't as good. Like one of the elements was like lacking either writing or the setup of the show or the chemistry of the characters, the talent of the writing staff, the talent of the actors. I don't know. I mean, I really tried to think of (laughs) a better answer than that, but like, I just think Golden Girls is magic. And sometimes there's, that's just all there is. (laughs) I don't know if you have a deeper take than that, but that was my takeaway. No, I mean, I think I agree with everything that you said. My idea about this, I guess, is that there is no magic formula for success on television, because if there was, everyone would be following that formula and (laughs) every show would be a hit, you know? (laughs) Like, it's clear that you can't always predict what's going to work and what's not going to work, because there are how many shows each season that get canceled because no one is watching them and at some point along the line someone thought that show worked because they ordered it yeah (laughs) so it's just it's so hard to pinpoint why this show or any other number of very successful shows stands the test of time because like it it has that je ne sais quoi, I guess, that undefinable factor that if it were able to be defined would be the only thing that people cared about in making television. Now, all of the things that you mentioned, the writing, the chemistry of the cast, the way that it was novel in addressing things that had not been seen or done on television before, like all of those things accumulate, they're more than the sum of the parts, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can have a show that's written exquisitely where the cast is just not doing the job, basically, and then the show fails. This show is just a tornado of talent, for one thing, both in front of and behind the camera, and it hit at 
the right time. It is a show that had a place in society, and it established that place and held on to it for its entire run, and it continues to hold on to it. As you were talking, I'm thinking about how throughout this episode we've, you know, tried to put Golden Girls within the context of the time in which it was made, you know, as maybe a response to the conservative administration, or on the other hand, as this sort of standout as being a show that's against the grain in like a generation of shows that were clamoring for a younger audience. Mm -hmm. But what is remarkable about Golden Girls is that this show could basically be made at any time or viewed at any time within history of the history of tv Mm -hmm. and it would still be funny and it would still be well received and that is maybe the thing that is the most remarkable about it and remarkable about a lot of the other shows that we've talked about on this podcast like mary tyler moore you know that show still is relevant today as it was when it was made Mm-hmm. So absolutely. On a more lighthearted note, I think maybe not even lighthearted, but a a very different idea. I do think that one of the reasons that Golden Girls is still so culturally revered is something that we have mentioned earlier: its connection to the queer community. Yes. I think, like, whether you want to recognize it or not, the gays have always been the arbiters of cultural relevance. (laughs) Yes! Like, the queer community decides what we're going to care about 20 years from now. Quite honestly, like, I I don't think that people always make that connection. But from the start, Golden Girls had the LGBTQ plus community on their side because they were representing it, and so few other places were. And, like, people continue to discover this show and whether they are a member of the queer community or not, they identify with it and they continue to carry it forward. And nobody carries culture forward better than the gays. You know, like if you have people wanting to dress up as you for Halloween, you have done something right. And, (laughs) you know, if you have people doing a live staged version of your television show in drag like you have four Mm -hmm. men doing episodes of your show in drag like that's an actual show that it was i don't know if it's still running but it was running in san francisco for a couple of years there's just certain things that the queer community identifies with that makes it lasting and that makes like that makes people take notice quite honestly Mm -hmm. in a way that other pockets of culture don't have the power to do definitely It's so interesting how that works, isn't it? Like, Mm -hmm. people can ostracize the gay community, the queer community, or look down on that community, but it's just something about... I I don't know if it's like a counterculture thing, or if it's just because they are sort of on the outside of society a little bit, it makes it cool. Like, I don't know what it is, but I think you're absolutely right. And like, I don't... (laughs) thinking while you're talking like all of these princess diana biopics coming out and Mm. all of this like obsession with her lately it's a very similar thing she Mm -hmm. was supported by the gay community from the get-go and like Mm -hmm. i know i'm like going down like a path right now but there's just countless examples of exactly what you're talking about and it is something that i don't think very many people unless they are a part of that community or have friends within that community i don't think most people even think about that yeah but 
if you hadn't thought about it before, now you've now you're maybe thinking about it. Well, we can probably wrap up this episode, Elena. I think so too. And I just wanted to say thank you for being a friend. You know, we've traveled down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. And if you threw a party, invited everyone you knew, you would see the biggest gift would be from me. And the card attached would say, thank you for being a friend. Thank you, Cody. I needed to hear that today. Oh my gosh. I just realized those are the lyrics to the theme song of the Golden Girls. (laughs) Everything I just said, uh, I was just having an open heartfelt conversation with you telling you how I feel about you. And I, uh, I just... I stole all of that from the theme song. I can't believe I did that. Uh, Wow. Just goes to show how uh, true the show is. How relevant it is to our lives and friendships. That is so true. Yes. We will be the Golden Girls one day, Elena. You and I. (laughs) We might be. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for listening. Viewer, uh, I, why do I always say viewers? I don't know. It's uh, fine. I, we can I call our listeners myself. viewers. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> My favorite podcast calls their listeners readers. Oh, really? Well, yeah. you know, our podcast is about television, which is something you yeah. view. So anyone listening to this presumably views television. Right. So, okay. I, you know, I take it back. <laughs> Thanks, viewers, for listening to our podcast. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode and learned a little bit and maybe considered something you haven't before if you have please comment on our instagram Instagram. yeah you can tell us all of the thoughts that you had about this episode at televisionary podcast is where you can find us there and yeah if you have things that you don't want to post in public you can send us you can slide into our dms (laughs) and tell us what you like or don't like about us but preferably what you like you say something uh, nice enough, we might just read it on the show. Oh, we might. <laughs> yeah, we should do an episode sometime where we read fan comments. As of right now, it would last like 12 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. We could read our like four <laughs> Apple podcast reviews, two of which <laughs> were written by us. <laughs> Don't tell them that, Elena. <laughs> You'll have to guess which ones. Yeah, Because we some... didn't put our names on them. I put some, like, errors in mine, so no oh, one Oh, to throw us off the trail. <laughs> oh, oh, well, anyway. Thank you, viewers, for being a friend of yes. the pod. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I am Cody Hoffman. I am Elena Hillard. And we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye! Thanks for listening to Televisionary. If you like what you heard, share this episode with a friend. You can follow us on Instagram at Televisionary Podcast, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Bye!